PI Perspectives. Today, I want to talk to you about the Investigator's Toolbox. Many of the folks who listen to this program actually have already signed up and have joined this online community for investigators and the investigative community. It's a place to go for networking. It's a place to go for continuing education, uh, watching webinars, doing your continuing education credit. It's a place also to read up on uh, the latest trends in the industry, stay on top of all the news articles. It's actually supported by some really, really great businesses that support our industry. They're offering discounts and benefits actually for your membership. And then the, the OSINT catalog, we've got a huge OSINT catalog that you can make your own private library. You essentially pick and choose what you want to be in your library, um, however you do your research. Check it out today. It's uh, www.investigators-toolbox.com. Listeners of the show, if you use the code PIP, 201836, you'll save an extra 20%. Investigators-toolbox.com. Go check it out today. Are you overwhelmed with your current case log? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out MerlinLocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. Welcome to PI Perspectives. Brian Willingham of Diligentia Group joins us today to chat. Brian has a fantastic blog and is a well-respected writer in the investigative community. He recently wrote a great article about crossing state lines as a PI doing investigative work. So let's drop in on Matt and Brian and get their take on this interesting subject. Please welcome Brian Willingham and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Well, I am honored here today to have a, a friend of mine, somebody who's a conference buddy. Brian Willingham is uh, joining us today. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. being on. Yeah, I know we had uh, talked a while back about having you on and uh, just waiting for everything to line up uh, with our schedules and all that. So I appreciate you taking time to come on and, uh, and do this. So uh, tell me, what's, what's going on? How's, uh, how's biz? Well, 2021 has started off with a little bang for all of us, uh, but business has been okay. Uh, we we had we actually were up a little bit last year, so you know obviously you know things sort of changed uh, with everything that happened back in March and everything shutting down. So certainly the mix of things has certainly changed quite a bit. Right. But you know most of my work, I don't do a lot of field work. I do a lot of sitting behind my computer, and I do a lot of interviews from behind my desk. So being out in the field and being in person and knocking on doors is not something that was always, this didn't affect that that much, obviously. Right. Uh, but obviously, you know, the world being on fire the way it is, it certainly was a, it was a challenging year just from sort of shifting gears and, sure. and trying to, you know, trying to help out however I can. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're, you're in New York here with me. So there was that whole question of, are we essential services? Are we not essential? What are we doing? I'm going to keep working. It's like, yes, I'm going to keep working. And uh, I know on, on my end, being uh, involved with my state association and, and actually talking to the lobbyist um, and making sure that we're, you know, we were able to do what we were, we were able to do. I can confidently say like, yes, we are essential services as per, you know, the business law, general business law, we're good to go. So that was good. But there, there was a shift in, in the type of work. And that's something you and I had talked about offline where you just, you didn't, weren't sure where the business was coming from, but at the end of the year, <laughs> it came. So yeah, listen. Yeah. I mean, the you know the world has become much more virtual over the past 
10 years or so. And I've sort of been waiting for that moment, you know, like retail is dead, people going into stores or, you know, doing it face-to-face interviews or knocking on doors is a little bit ancient, so to speak. You know, right. you can do a lot of these things via Zoom or via telephone calls or doing interviews or taking statements or we were talking about doing, you know, notaries yeah. <laughs> over Zoom calls. It's crazy. So, you know, it's just the way that the world has been going and I wasn't ready. Nobody was ready for a pandemic, but certainly the way that I've operated over the past couple of years, you know, I, I've always been a person that can grab my laptop and work from anywhere. So I wasn't ready for it, but at least I was somewhat prepared. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I had the the good fortune of doing zoom for quite some time before uh, the pandemic hit. So it's like, zoom. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Let's do it. <laughs> I wasn't like scratching my head. Like how does this thing work? Yeah, uh, totally. And now people are much more comfortable with it too. Like if you want to like, you know, if you're doing an interview with someone, maybe it's like, Hey, if you want to feel more comfortable jumping on a zoom call, they're like, yeah, sure. It's yeah. more of the, the lexicon. It's more of a, a regular thing now. Sure. Yeah. And you you know, it's interesting that you're saying that because what I've noticed in general, just even, even practicing and and, and doing investigative work, it used to be everything was a hundred percent by the book. It had to be this way, no other way. And there was that expectation, especially with, with attorneys, there's a certain expectation that something's going to get done a certain way, policies, procedures, all that other stuff, throw all that out the window. (laughs) Like, you know, they got shorts on and a, and, and a suit jacket on and they're doing depositions. Like everything is just t- topsy-turvy. And at the end of the day, all they really care about is, is it getting done and is it getting done properly? You know, how you got from point A to point C, I don't care about B. You know, like don't, tell, don't fill me in with that. I don't need to micromanage the details. Yep. Just get it done. And I found that whole micromanagement, I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but the whole micromanagement from my clients definitely took a step back. Um, it's yeah, it's, listen, very it's much more relaxed. I mean, for sure. I mean, like, you know, I have a lot of being where we are. I live in Westchester County, just north of New York City. And a lot of people commute to the city. They either work on Wall Street or have big law firms or whatever. And for years, I'd either work from home or remotely or however I wanted. And, you know, for them, they sit on a train for they commute for three hours a day. And I never had that. Um and all of a sudden it was required, you know, people who never thought that they could work from home now work from home and they figured out how to do it. So, yeah. you know, the world has become a little bit more relaxed in the sense that like, it doesn't matter how you get your stuff done. It just matters how yeah. you get it. If you get it done. I, I think a lot of them don't even want to go back. You know, it's like, no. I, I don't see that five day a week thing happening anymore, you know, which is, no, I, is great. I, I mean, I've been listen, doing it too, I, just like you have been doing the same way, you know? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, commuting is, I think, one of the biggest wastes of times of God's creation. I mean, like, you know, the idea that you spend 15 hours a week, you know, commuting to places uh, that you don't necessarily need to be is 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 heartbreaking to me. <laughs> like, I really, yeah. I mean, listen, it's always nice to have a little downtime. I mean, being parents, yeah, sure, like having that little downtime. But <laughs> Quite at the time. end of the day, I'd rather be close to home and sitting near home uh, no matter what so. i'm right there with you the only exception yep. i would say is that if that's the time that you listen to podcasts yep then you know <laughs> you need to find some time to do that fair enough yeah <laughs> that's the that's the only asterisk i'll put on there yep yeah um, my my commute is one mile which we talked about a little bit earlier yeah. so i don't really get those chances to listen to a whole yeah. lot of podcasts so what like yeah. i'll take a long drive by myself or sure. my teenage kids get their earphones on and they don't want to sit in the car with me and so uh, that's the only time I really get to to do it. So more right. road trips for me. That's good, right? Or you know, once again, once we have conferences and you're out and about, uh, you know, you, you got a flight with a couple hours to kill, and, and yep. it's a good way to do totally. stuff. 
Well, that's good, man. So your your company specializes in in a certain area, right? You you do a lot of due diligence. That's kind of your background. Yeah. So I you know I kind of grew up in these in this age of um, online research. So I don't call myself an OSINT investigator, open source intelligence investigator. I do a lot of really deep background investigations on people, places, things relating to, you know, due diligence and, you know, if a company is being in, investing in another company, whether it's a private equity or venture capital investment, when they're investing tens of millions of dollars, they want to make sure that the people that are working there and the CEO and the CFO are above board and don't have any issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it, it applies in litigation. You know, when there's high stakes litigation, there's a, an expert witness that, you know, is the key to the whole entire case. And right. they want to make sure that the, everything about them is buttoned up and eyes dotted and T's crossed. Sure. Or a, a major person in a criminal defense case that is going to be testifying against their client. They want to know everything about them. Sure. You know, what they ate for for breakfast if they were arrested for a felony or jaywalking. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of, you know, spent a lot of time on that. I've done, I've had the pleasure of working on some working on deep background investigations on potential vice presidential candidates nice. uh, and worked on all kinds of sort of really interesting cases. So that's where I've sort of gathered my specialty. Yeah, it's great. And you know, it's like you find the thread, you pull on the thread and you just keep going, keep going to you, you find what you can find. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, you're sitting in someone's MySpace account going, how did I get here? Right. Totally. You never know where you're going to end up yeah. <laughs> with every one of these things. You never know where you're going to end up. Yeah. I know there, there's some, uh, one of the OSINT researchers, uh, when I started really getting involved with this, they're like, listen, you got to have a strong constitution because you're going to see some really awful things online, you know, and you just got to, you got to learn that it's just normal, you know, and it just, you know, keep it moving and go on to the next thing. Um, cause you, you really don't know what you're going to, uh, come across. No, you really don't. I mean, like, listen, everybody comes to you with these questions, problems, you know, what are we going to find? You know, can you find this? And you have no idea, you know, you know, people have, some people have secret lives and, you know, yeah. whether it's under some weird profile they have when people close their doors at home, you'd never know what goes on beyond there. And sure. some people know somebody on the surface and they think they know them. But do they really know them? You know, do they have, you know, a history of litigation? Have they, you know, been charged with other things that you're, you know, that, so listen, you never know what you're going to come up with. And that's sort of part of the hunt and part of the fun of it uh, and and doing this kind of work. Yeah. You know, that, that's really what kind of led me into doing investigative work. You know, that, that whole passion of trying to figure out why something happened, how did it happen? Like in having that theory, that, that, that positive of, I think it would happen this way. Now let me go work it through and see if I was close or if I got it or not. It's just that, that whole passion. Cause I, yeah, I did consider law at one point. Right. And it was like, mm-hmm. okay, do I want to become a lawyer? You know, I lined up to go to law school and I was like, eh, I like the investigative stuff better. It's just, it's more fulfilling for me to find out why something. Yeah. Happened. Listen, I think it's much more fulfilling. It's challenging too. I mean, like, you know, you don't get the same thing over and over again, the same cases over and over again. I have no idea what I'm doing two weeks from now. Uh, and I may be working on a whole different kind of uh, business or doing a whole different background, doing a research or interviews on a topic that I, I had no idea about. So it's like, it's part of that, you know, hunger of finding information and just asking questions. And, you know, I, I, it keeps you on your toes. I mean, like there's never been a point where I'm like, I'm, I'm really bored and (laughs) I don't know what I'd, you know, I, I gotta go do this again tomorrow. Rarely ever like that. Yeah. And you know, the folks that embrace it the way you and I do, like we'll never get tired of our job. Like I don't see myself 
stepping down. I just love doing it. You know, it's, uh, no, and it brings, you know, there's, like I said, I'm beating a dead horse here, but it's, it brings new challenges every day. Like two days, last week, um, the day before New Year's Eve or a couple weeks ago, um, you know, I got a call from a local friend who's, you know, somebody had passed away under sort of mysterious circumstances and they wanted me to help sort of secure some video from around the neighborhood that may have shown people coming in and out of the house and things like that. Right. It's not sort of my regular sort of caseload, but it's certainly something I'm capable of doing. Right. And it was fun. You know, I, it was on New Year's Eve, which nobody really wants to work New Year's Eve, sure. but I went out and I did it and was able to gather some really interesting stuff. So it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a new challenge, sort of a new thing every day, every week, every yep. month. And you just keep going on from there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 15 and a half years into that lifestyle of not knowing where I'm going to be on Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, if, if, it, if you're like worrisome about that stuff, it could put you in the grave early. Um, but you know, I, I just have faith that, you know, it's, it's going to be there and it, it has, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it, yeah, I think every investigative, the way that this business works, there's, there's ups and downs. There's always going to be ups and downs. And, and, you know, sometimes you get a little, you know, back in the early days when I first started, I would get panicky when I didn't have like a day's worth of work. Yeah. Uh, and now, even now I do too, but things always seem to work out yeah. <laughs> and yep. it's part of the fun of it. It It's certainly, you have to sort of um, constantly be prepared for it. And, you know, you may have something that comes in Friday night and you have to work all weekend and that's part of the thrill of it. It Cost can drive business. people nuts too. Yeah. <laughs> Cost of doing business. <laughs> yep. It totally um, is. And, you know, and that's why I think like during the pandemic shutdowns and all that, like you pivot, right? So it's like, okay, it's slow. So what am I doing now? Am I, you know, there was this rush to do continuing education. There was a rush to, you know, do client maintenance. And, you know, and every every couple of weeks, it was something new that you got to do and make sure you do it. Like, I've gotten to the point now with clients, it's really funny. I used to go have lunch with them and, and catch up. And now we uh, we brown bag it and we just do our Zoom meetings. <laughs> you eat your lunch, I'll eat my lunch, and let's just catch up and, and talk. And it's weird, but it works, you know. It's like yeah. what, what you have to Listen, do. Listen, these kind of things, I, you know, I always try to find sort of lessons and positives out of any good, bad, or indifferent situation. I did it, you know, just last week, just looking back on 2020 and what's the difference here. But I think it gives you time to reflect too. Like, yeah. you know, how am I being helpful to my clients? What can I do better if there's something that, you know, that I haven't been able to sort of spend time learning a new skill or finding some new sort of um, detail that other people don't know about. So it certainly gives you time to sit back and reflect. So there's sure. not always, not all bad comes out of these things. It's, yep. it's, it's some good. And eventually, um, you know, I know a lot of small businesses have suffered, but at the end of the day, sort of the cream rises to the top and yep. the people that are going to be sort of left uh, are the ones that have been able to pivot and provide really valuable services to their clients. I think you're right. I think, you know, the, the folks in our, in our industry, especially, you know, that really their hearts weren't into doing the work. are like, eh, you know, this is a good excuse maybe for me to finally just call quits and, and retire. And that just creates opportunity for others. And uh, if you're positioned properly, you know, you can really capitalize on it. I know I've picked up a bunch of new clients. I actually, um, I look back, I worked with more clients this year than I did the year before. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Um, but yeah, uh, or you know, if it's, you, you know, if it's a matter of, you know, I've been doing it this way for so long and right. it's not, now it's not working. Like now you need to pivot. You need to figure out what, you know, I imagine the people that, you know, completely relied on surveillance. I've heard that, you know, surveillance investigators are busier than ever now, but obviously yeah. there was a month there where 
you're not doing any surveillance. <laughs> so yeah. and, and yeah, it's uh, cyclical. It comes and goes. And even yeah. you know, with money on that, you know, to pay for it, you know, they're going to spend. They're not going to spend. You know, I mean, it, it's it's so cyclical. Uh, how that all works and and budget wise, it's uh, it can be frustrating. I'm I'm with you, man. I'm I'm not on the surveillance game. I I know a lot of really good ones, guys that do that stuff and girls that do yep. it. But um, yeah, not for me. No, no, I can't sit in a car and pee in a Gatorade bottle for too long. I've done it before. Exactly. It's, it's exhilarating. <laughs> uh, most people don't realize how boring and tedious it is. There's moments of absolute, your heart is racing, there's yeah. exhilaration. Some of the best stories that I've yeah. told about the work that I've done yeah. relate to surveillance, yeah. but I don't want to be doing that every day. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing the story about when you were surveilled, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. <laughs> I was. <laughs> so, so we had a little counter surveillance going there on go. there too. So yeah. Spy games. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're going to take a break real quick. And when we come back, actually, I, I wanted to um, get into the blog that you do, which is an amazing blog. Talk about some of the things that you've been writing about. Uh, you, you just put out a really interesting article, actually. We're going to focus on that a little bit on uh, crossing state lines, uh, doing investigative work, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, how, how you should approach it. Um, so everyone sit tight and we will be right back. PI Perspectives. Are you using a case management system? The answer is no. You should really rethink that process. Right. So as you guys know, Crosstracks has been an amazing sponsor of the show. They've just been uh, really supportive. As you guys also know, I didn't used to have a case management system. I was the, the investigator that was fighting them tooth and nail. I finally decided to give it a whirl. What a great decision, right? During the COVID shutdown, I was able to actually roll my whole business into it and get completely up and running. And um, my clients love it. I mean, just today, I got a, a phone call from a client of mine who just couldn't believe how easy it was to access everything and uh, how invoices were there. He actually asked me to go back and upload all my prior cases and put it into Crosstracks. I've been doing business with that firm for, I don't know, about eight years, so uh, it's a lot of cases. Yeah, if you don't use a case management system, you should, right? You should check it out. Give Crosstracks a shot. Contact Brad or one of the teammates over there, and uh, they'll get you up and running with a trial and see if it's for you. If you have used Crosstracks and it's been a while and uh, you're not happy with the system that you're in, go check them out. They're doing a lot of really cool new things and uh, see if it's right for you. If you're unhappy with the system that you're in right now, contact them. You know, the ability for them to roll your system into their system is very easy. Again, you guys know they've been sponsoring this program and I can't say uh, enough good things about them, but uh, make your own decision, right? Give it a shot on your own and see if it's right for you. Gain greater insight into people, assets, businesses, and their interrelationships with IDI's next generation investigative platform, IDI Core. Through a massive data repository, advanced data fusion technology, and more intuitive UI, IDI Core uncovers the relevance of disparate data points, providing actionable intelligence to support your investigations. Register for a free trial at IDIdata.com slash PI Perspectives or call 844-778-1740. 844-778-1740. What do you do when you get calls for bug sweeps? Did you know USABugsweeps.com, the number one TSCM provider in the country, pays you a 20% commission for converted sales leads? Stop turning money away. USABugsweeps.com uses top-rated technology and they cover all of the United States. 
So save time and make money today. Contact usabugsweeps.com and mention PIP20. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Have you heard about the free FAPI conference next month? Check out the link in the show notes and set aside some time on February 17th through February 19th. Speakers include past guests like John A. Hoda, Michelle Stewart, and Jim Nanos. Learn more at www.myfappy.org. That's myfappy.org. And welcome, everybody, back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. I'm here with Brian Willingham. Uh, Brian, welcome back to the program. Thanks again. Good yeah. to be back. Yeah, yeah. So just a couple of guys from New York shooting a breeze today. <laughs> Talked a little bit before the break about um, your writing and uh, your blog, which you've got quite a, a reputation, sir, in the community for having a, a very useful blog. Uh, and I know writing is a passion of yours. So tell me a little bit of how you got into that and what's the idea behind it? So it's a great question and sort of a long story, but you know, so I, um, I started my business in 2009 um, and I went out on my own and one of, you know, I'd sort of gotten the blogging bug in the previous company that I was working for. I'd started writing articles about sort of current events and sort of things that were going on. And I started getting this like following and it was like addictive sort of getting like, right. Oh my God, people are actually like looking <laughs> at this stuff. So, um, so when I went out in business, this was 11 years ago, um, and one of the things that I really wanted to do was to talk about some things uh, in the investigative community that nobody really talked about. I mean, we have sort of a reputation in our business of being sort of close to the vest. People don't tell their secrets sure. and, um, and, and don't really talk about the things that go on in our industry and those kind of things. So I made it a point to, you know, sort of talk about those things, and it sort of got some blowback early in the early on about like, you know, Hey, you can't tell how we do these things. <laughs> Stop it. Um, and, and I just kept doing it. And it was interesting because, you know, at the beginning, I think my mom and my wife were the only people that were actually looking at it. But over the time, you know, you start developing um, a voice. Um, and over the years, it's become a pretty popular thing. And I really like at the beginning, it was more meant to be like, I'm trying to get some business, trying to get some thoughts on paper. Sure. Um, it was a way to sort of clarify some of my thoughts about things. You know, writing obviously makes it is, is very different than just talking about it or whatever. Um, and it just sort of grew from there. I've written 300 blog posts at this point, uh, written for Pursuit Magazine and mm -hmm. PI Magazine yep. and the ACFE. Uh, and it's become sort of a passion of mine. I've kind of been known at it, uh, known for it uh, at this point and how a lot of people have ultimately found me. So. Yeah. No, you definitely got some street cred. Um, and and uh, the articles are good. You know, it's not only just like, well, here's uh, what I'm going to talk about today. And this is just my opinion on things. No, you, you back things up with facts. And, um, 
you know, it, yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, your opinion on things, but there's weight behind it, right? You've, you're, you're not a new jack to the industry. And I think the arguments are, are, are valid. Uh, the points that you make are always valid. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Listen, I, I think I try to tackle some challenging subjects too, like the one that we're about to talk about. Sure. These are, you don't see it written about very often and right. it's not talked about. You probably talk about it with other investigators. I have yeah, a, a big community yeah. of other investigators that were like, hey, you know, we talk to each other a lot. Like, hey, I'd come up with this situation. What, what, how would you handle it or what would you do? Sure. Um, so th this is one of the things that came up with a local investigator who was like, hey, how would you handle this? And I was like, Hey, do you mind if I write a blog post about this? Because this is a topic I think other people want to hear about. Yeah. So let's, let's dive right into that then. So basically it is a question of uh, whether or not you cross state lines while you're in the course of an investigation. So tell me how you, uh, obviously, I guess you said you had another investigator uh, talk to you about it. How did you start to research it and come to the uh, opinion that you came to on this? So this is something that I, I've had an opinion, strong opinion about it for, for quite some time. This was a little bit different. This was a surveillance investigator. It was a local surveillance investigator. Um, and he was always under the impression that, you know, if he'd started, um, if the case was domiciled here in New York, that he was able to do surveillance, even though the person lived in New York or Connecticut or whatever, the case was based, the, the lawsuit that was going on was based here and that he'd never really had an issue with it. Some of the big attorney law firms that he worked for never had an issue with it. He clearly has never been called out on it in, in court. Um, and that's how it sort of came up. And he said, you know, I, th I know that there's something out there that says that I can do this. And my immediate answer to him was, I don't think you can do this. I think mm -hmm. if you're not licensed in that state and you're starting in another state, um, you really need to be licensed in that state. Um, and that's the way I've always operated. I'm not, I don't do a lot of surveillance. So surveillance is not my sort of core business. Um, so that's how it sort of initially came up. And, you know, his initial reaction back to me was like, I, you're wrong. I hate you. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. No, but um, so I reached out to a couple of local investigators that, that I work with. And both of them happen to be attorneys. One is a general counsel of a, a big investigative firm. Mm -hmm. And another one's a, you know, a local solo operator who's also an attorney. So like, you know, I, they're not giving me legal opinions on this stuff, but yeah. I think I, you know, like a lot of things in the investigative industry, there's always this sort of gray-ish area. Yes, um, please consult a lawyer, people. This is not legal advice today. <laughs> yeah. So, Let's get that out of the way. you know, and we, I wanted to get their opinion on how they would operate it. So that's how yeah. the sort of whole ball started gotten rolling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, listen, you bring up some interesting points and, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. I thought one of the interesting points that you had brought up in the article was the fact that if it actually started in another state and then came into New York, you know, why don't you talk a, a little bit about that? What was your finding on that? So, so here is my thought process on the whole thing. Um, you know, I do, I do a lot of interview work. Um, so if I was ever to go do an interview in, I'm licensed in New York. I'm not licensed in Connecticut or New Jersey. Right. If I were to go into New Jersey to interview somebody, I would need to have somebody who is with me who is licensed. And I think that's Correct. sort of the general MO of how people generally operate. Um, and I, what I said to him was like, that was, that was how I always operated. If he was in New York doing a surveillance in New York and had to cross over state lines, 
Um, you know, that is certainly where it becomes like this gray area. I don't, my point to him and I might, the point that I made in the article was, I don't think anybody's going to give you that much uh, problem by going it, you know, you're continuing your investigation. They happen to go in another state. Um, but again, you know, it, it always depends. Yeah, no, listen, <laughs> I don't think it, a trial by jury, right. And you know, someone moves to have it precluded. And now all of a sudden it's sidebar and it's like, let's have a decision. And it's, you're leaving up to a judge and their impression of what's right and, and what's not right. Uh, you know, maybe the judge doesn't like that one attorney and he's like, I'm not giving that to you. Uh, That's absolutely right. And, totally and you know, happy. maybe some of the evidence that was collected in New York would be okay, but right. whatever you collected in, in the other state, or right. they would just get rid of all of it because, <laughs> or whatever reason. So there's, there's like a box. thousand different yeah. things yeah. that could happen. And I, you know, the way I generally operate try to be as ethical and above board as possible. We I'm have always to. Trying to yeah, you have, have to, to yeah. but you have to think yeah. about these things ahead of time. Most of the things that I do are not going to end up in front of a judge or, or a trial. Um, but you have to sort of think about those things because mm -hmm. th the last thing you would want is collecting some piece of information that was the smoking gun or whatever the case may be and have all of a sudden all of it be thrown out because you did something that, you know, you weren't either didn't For, think was illegal, right. you know, you, it wasn't appropriate. So, yeah. And then just make sure your premiums are paid up <laughs> for your liability yeah. insurance because uh, <laughs> that's the next shoe that falls off, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and what's one of the interesting things that came out of this is that, um, you know, I, I'm not aware of a whole lot of case law surrounding mm -hmm. this. Uh, you might be, but when I wrote the article, this is one of the things that I really appreciate about blogging and writing is that once I wrote the article, I got three or four emails from people that, hey, there's this case in Pennsylvania where the guy crossed state lines and you may want to check this out. And there mm -hmm. was another one in, uh, in California. So there's, you know, it, it sort of sort of creates this dialogue sure. and now I'm sort of collecting some of this case law about it. And if there is case law out there, there was one guy who apparently was a charge with a felony for crossing state lines. Um, and they were originally weren't going to prosecute him, but yeah. the, and there was another case that happened in Connecticut New, uh, um, and New York in which the judge threw out all the evidence that was collected. It was for a couple of former MIPD people who were doing surveillance Cross state lines and the judge threw it all out. So yeah. listen, there's, there's certainly it's a valid question, and you know I don't think anybody goes into these things saying, "Hey, I'm just I don't care. I'm going to yeah. do everything uh, the way I want to." But these are sort of things that you need to think about. I, I almost feel like the judge probably did that because he read General Business Law Seven, and if you do read General Business Law Seven, it clearly states you have to be licensed by the state of New York to do investigative work in. New York state. So, you know, to me, if you're in New Jersey and you're coming in, into New York and you don't have a license, it's pretty clear. You can't do that. Um, if you follow that law and I feel yeah, like that's I, probably why he did that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I listen, I think over time, you know, I, investigation has obviously changed over the years. I mean, I totally think that people should need to be licensed in their states and most states have licensing, but a yeah. couple that don't, I still don't Some understand. are losing them. You know, it's yeah. like it's, but it's, I think there should be, you know, these yeah. states should be able to talk to each other. There's some sort yeah. of reciprocity agreements. Yeah. The world is not, the, you know, the world is getting to be a bigger place. And the sure. fact that, you know, you can't go into the next state for any period of time. Like, listen, if you are constantly going into another state, 
um, I would imagine that that state would want you to be licensed. But if there was some short period of time and you can just notify them like, hey, I'm a licensed investigator in New York. There's some investigations that taking me into their state, signing a form and, you know, whatever and, and, and getting that approved. You know, you would think that that would be something that would happen. And I know you're much more involved with the state associations than I am. So then maybe that's something that is you know, in the, in the works. Or yeah. There's been some discussion about that and it's something, you know, um, you know, both on the, on the national scale with, with NCISS and, and, um, you know, with the state association, Aldenis in New York. Um, these are discussions that we've, we've had and, um, you know, it's, it's something to, to definitely look at, but you know, it's, it's very interesting. I think what it all comes down to is money. Right. The state just wants to collect their money. You know, you go and you get your uh, license in Connecticut. Like it's expensive. I think it's like fifteen hundred bucks a year. Is it really? Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like really, really out of control. Um, And, you know, if you're going to start shelling out, you know, five hundred dollars here, fifteen hundred there, four hundred there for all that, you know, it's like, okay, well, how much work do I actually do in the state? Uh, It is it even worthwhile for me to do it. Um, So, yeah, there's there's considerations. But, you know, kind of going along what we were talking about before, the world is becoming much more virtual place. Like I can interview. Is it okay for me to interview somebody in California and not physically go there? I think the answer is generally yes. I'm calling on a telephone, you know. Uh, So, you know, the world and and the research that we do online. I mean, we can I can pull court records in Pennsylvania and do a background check on somebody in Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter that I'm physically based there. So, you know, I think the 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 state the states need to sort of catch up to the way that the world is sort of operating. You know, we we came across this with the notaries, right? Uh, Where, oh, you can do notaries online now. You don't have to do do it, you know, have the person in front of you. You got to follow this guideline. You got to follow that line. You know, the governor of New York signed off on an executive order 207, I think it was, um, uh, which, by the way, is extended again. Um, So it clearly states in there that they have to show you ID, like they they have to provide themselves, and both parties have to be in the state of New York. You know, mm. and I feel like there are attorneys out there that take this, oh, we can notarize stuff and they have out of state people and yeah, I'm just gonna throw my stamp on there. It's it's cool. And that you know, like they're not really doing what they're supposed to do. Now, c- going back to what we were saying earlier, how things are much more lax now. Is someone really gonna gonna follow up on that? Probably not. Uh, but if if you wanna get to being the stickler of of like this is not a, a correct acknowledgement. We need to throw it out. You know, um, this affidavit is needs to go into garbage. You can make that argument. Yeah. And listen, I, uh, you know, the way I operate is I try to be a way not coming close to that gray line is not somewhere where I ever want to be. So it's sure. like there, in situations like this, like, you know, if I'm doing surveillance and I'm about to cross the state line, I might be calling the attorney and be like, listen, I need to get a kinetic investigator immediately and yeah. follow him from here on out so that, you know, this doesn't become an issue. So, yeah. listen, you have to, you know, follow these things as close to the law as possible for that, you know, scenario in which that, you know, it could be could become an issue. A very smart attorney told me a long time ago, always know how you're going to lose your case. Right. So if you can be proactive and just figure out like, okay, how are they going to come out at me with what, how can this potentially be thrown out and just plan contingency? I think you'll be okay. You'll be all right. (laughs) One of the things that surprised me out of this is that, you know, that these attorneys that he works with, uh, which are obviously from very legitimate big law firms and nobody on the other side, I mean, he's been in business for 20 plus years. Nobody's ever 
caught caught him. I don't know how many he's actually done, but nobody's ever questioned it. So, yeah. uh, you know, listen, it, that, that was sort of the point I was making in the article too, yeah. <laughs> is that, you know, how much is this, are you really going to get punished by your state association oh, if you right. did it one time? Yeah. I, I doubt it. Um, so so here, here's the answer to that, because I can speak to New York, <laughs> being on the board that I'm on. So uh, Aldenius for a long time uh, had been pushing for a felony um, charge for anyone operating as a private investigator that wasn't actually a licensed PI. Um, and we went back and forth. We had Lee Zeldin involved for, for a while before he ended up going down to Washington full time. And um, uh, we have a great lobbyist, Fred Altman, up in New York that was uh, working on it. And... We weren't able to get the felony. <laughs> we got a misdemeanor. I think it's a B misdemeanor, which is still some some jail time. But if you're operating uh, without a license in the state of New York, potentially, potentially, you could face misdemeanor charges. Now, with that being said, I'll reference your article. Ain't nobody bringing charges. And even, I got to be honest with you, we've turned in a couple of people. You know, we get the anonymous phone calls from people mm-hmm. and look and, you know, someone's operating. I haven't seen the part mistake going after anybody on any of this stuff either. And this, this law has been on the books for probably about four or five years now. And to parlay on what you just said, I mean, the, one of the big stories that's come out in New York or in big stories in general is this firm Black Hue, which yes. is an Israeli intelligence firm, which was operating in New York for Mr. Wein, Harvey Weinstein. Ed Harvey, yes. And they were working with some local investigators, but they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff, yeah. uh, operating physically based here in New York. And I imagine that they sort of got around it by, you know, hiring a local investigator, but they were sort of out on the side. If you read some of the articles that Ronan Farrow wrote. Um, And one of the interesting things that came out in that is that, you know, one of the investigators, the local investigators, who's a licensed private investigator in New York, um, he was doing some really shady things as well. Uh, And as far as I know, he's, he's still got a license and nobody's done anything to him. Every now and then they catch people. There was a guy recently that was spying for, uh, for China. (laughs) Right. I saw that. got nailed. So they don't always get away, but yeah, yeah, I I think if it's, if it's, uh, if it's a matter of like procedural wise, I really don't think they're going to come down hard on you, but why take that chance? Right. You do open yourself up to liability. So I think, getting back to the point that you were saying earlier about not walking close to that gray line I'm the same way, man, because I have testified, I have gone in federal court and I have gone in state Supreme court and been on the stand. And I don't want somebody digging into my thing going, Hey, uh, you did this on your taxes or, or you had this, uh, thing that you lied about on, on your resume or this, like that's career suicide for us, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I know because I've seen it, I've replaced investigators that have lied about a previous uh, criminal conviction or DWI or, or, or got caught on a case where they did something unethically. And it just, it, right down the, gone. I've replaced them. You're our investigator now because this other guy wasn't honest. Okay, great. Bad for him, good yeah. for me. Um, yeah. I've seen it happen. Yeah, and, and listen, I think, you know, kind of getting back to what we were talking about before, that some states have these reciprocity agreements with, right. with other states. California has like six or seven. Sure. North Carolina has some. What's their surrounding states? And I just makes sense. sense. Yeah. I, I wish mean, they like, would all at, do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should really all do that. And just like, you know, getting into the 21st century here. Right. Yeah, damn the fees that are involved yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think even with like New Jersey, because I had looked into getting my license in New Jersey because I'm like, you know, I do get those calls. And I have a great bunch of New Jersey investigators that I use. And, and actually, one of my guys actually 
lives in New Jersey now that works for me. And I'm like, oh, we should maybe think about getting our Jersey license. You physically have to have a business address there in order to do that. You can't just say, I, I operate in New York, but I want that New Jersey license. That's like the one one big deal breaker that you actually have to have. A yeah, I think most order. states are, are, are similar too. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's like a deal breaker. And again, it's, it's just this very old school thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I need to have somebody physically based there in order sure. to, to be operating there, which is not, doesn't need to be the case. So what kind of advice, I'm going to, we're going to take a left turn here. What, what kind of advice would you give to an investigator who is thinking about blogging and saying, I, I really have this passion for, for being heard and I want to say things. How do I start? How do I get involved in this? That's a good question. Um, I, it's, it takes quite a while. So one of the points that I made before is that it took me a long time to sort of uh, get an audience. Um, and one of the things that, you know, when I originally did this, I was doing it as a sort of business generator. I wanted to, for attorneys to find me. I wanted, you know, private equity firms to find me. I wanted investors to find me. I wanted, I wanted people to be able to find me because I was writing about stuff. What's sort of interesting that's come out is that you become this sort of leader in the business um, and because you're a voice that people hear. I know dozens of other guys, hundreds of other investigators who are infinitely smarter than me. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> me I write about this stuff a lot. Yeah. So people are like, hey, you should go to this guy because yeah. he's talked about it. So listen, it takes a long time. And I think, you know, this is something that you did too. When you started your podcast, I'm sure the first episode didn't have 10,000 downloads or even a thousand or even a hundred. Yeah. Um, but over I time, in there, of, buddy. <laughs> I think I got yeah. at least a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be consistent. I mean, That's like true. you have to go yeah. out there and you have to, you have to put stuff out there and it's, and it's hard sometimes. And I imagine it was hard for you. I mean, you, there, there was a time where I was very hesitant about, you know, expressing my voice and my opinion uh, about certain things. And, you know, over time, I don't care nearly as much, but you've got to be consistent and you got to go out and you just got to keep doing it. And ultimately, you know, things start happening and all these sort of opportunities and things that happened that I didn't necessarily think were going to happen. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if I would have necessarily met you if, if this, this had didn't come across I and mean, we met at osmosis and yeah. one of the first things you talked about was, you know, you're about to start doing this podcast. So, yeah. you know, you wind up, you wind up yeah. meeting people yeah. and, and, and the amazing relationships that I've created from, yeah. from doing this stuff is just, it's just been amazing. No, it's, it's cool. And I, I think for me anyways, like starting to do the podcast, I was very uncomfortable with listening to my own voice. I was like, Jesus, this guy sounds like Kermit the Frog. Who's this clown? You know, like, like a pretender, right? I had to get like comfortable and fix my speech pattern a little bit and stop going, hey, ho, de ho, de ho, right? And uh, I still get it. I still get the like the, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start developing ticks of like speech patterns and things like that, which I'll become aware of fix them and then something else will pop up. You know, it's like, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. I'm, I'm exactly the same way. Uh, and I did a, I did a course a couple of years with, uh, in conjunction with PI education and <laughs> they, apparently I, um, quite a bit. Yes. Um, <laughs> we'll take it out. They, don't worry. <laughs> I get a good editor. And, and he, he went through like, you know, 14 hours of video and edited out all the ums and I'm, yeah. and I'm listening to myself. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I didn't realize that I did that so much. So you don't listen. You listen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's certain, you know, 
lexicon that you use all the time that you don't really realize until you actually listen so, to yourself. So yeah, here's mine. Like, you know, is one of them, right? So I did one with Brianne Joseph. She's been on a few times, actually. From New Orleans, great investigator, good friend of mine. So I had her on in November last year, the first time. And both of us were like, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. Like I sat there and kind of like, I think between the two of us, it must have been over a hundred times we're saying, you know, like we get it, you know, you just stop it, right? Yeah. And then that and that developed later into it's kind of funny, and I've even did it like twice, I think today, uh, and it's something I'm working on. So definitely, yeah. Listen, you got to have thick skin when you do these kind of things too, totally. because like you have to, you're putting yourself out there. People are gonna jump on you for certain things, what you say, what you do, if you're incorrect about certain things, and you've got to sort of develop that little bit of a skin and be a little bit self-deprecating knowing that you know i'm i'm an 100 imperfect human being i'm the first guy to make fun of myself it's, it's, it's very easy uh, in fact like i i at one point i got i got a four four star like i usually get like five stars on on uh the ratings and someone gave me a four star and i was so happy i was like yes i've arrived the haters are here give me a two star come on four's not good enough <laughs> And, you know, it's like you take it with a grain of salt, man. It's not, it's, it's all good, man. It's not for everybody. I, I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. But it's still like uh, even, you know, podcasting, YouTubing, yeah. writing, if you're on social media. Listen, I think in this day and age, it's important to sort of put yourself out there. Well, not not only that, man. I think it's it's on it for like folks like you and I that have, that have been at it, you know, 10 plus years, right? It's our responsibility to bring up the people behind us to keep this this industry going, right? And we can really lean into the Kelly Riddles and the John Hodas and the Francie Kohlers, the, the folks that have been around for a really, really long time, John LaJoy. Like you reach into those those people and you learn from them, right? And you take that information, that nugget, and you pass it along to the next person, right? You should always be raising up people behind you. And I think it's it's people that our age or, or at that point in our careers, like it's our responsibility to do that. Definitely. Yeah. And going back on what we were talking about before, you know, I, I 10 years ago, there weren't a lot of people like you or me doing writing about this stuff or yeah. talking about this stuff. And we were kind of back in the woodwork and, you know, it was sort of the secretive business and, yeah. and putting a face, you know, as an as a whole, you know, our industry doesn't necessarily have the best reputation. So by being, you know, being out there and putting ourselves out there we're regular people and you know um and 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 i think it's just important to show and for other people to learn and to, yeah. to make this a better industry and a and a and a you know more you know raise the bar for for what what we do totally so we're we're regular people with really interesting stories who have no idea where we're going to be on tuesday yeah <laughs> so uh with, with that being said i think we're gonna wrap it down we're gonna wind down here um brian this is great man this was a long time coming um i respect the heck out of what you're doing i love your writing please keep at it you have a voice man and, and you definitely uh bring out some really good points on things and it's just not your your everyday average article if, if you're throwing out a blog it's worth reading how would folks go about finding that blog if they were interested in reading it so uh, on my website, diligentiagroup.com slash blog is where you'd find it. And you can find me on every social media platform that yeah. there is. Uh, but I, I'm more on LinkedIn more than anything these days. Um, I'm loving LinkedIn. You can find me anywhere. Yeah, yeah. no politics, man. I love LinkedIn. <laughs> Actually, I was on there today and somebody had posted something. That, and the whole like LinkedIn crowd was like, this is politics. This is political. Go to Facebook. Get, get This is a business yeah. platform. I banned yeah. Facebook from my personal life. I'm only on Instagram. 
Instagram now and Twitter. I'll turn on every once in a while, but my my blood pressure goes up like six points when that happens. Way too much, man. I just post food and uh, and music and (laughs) and uh, getting the word out on my guests. That's pretty much my my Facebook these days. So awesome. Um, So hey, man, thank you so much. It was great chatting with you. Uh, Always a privilege. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And uh, we'll catch everybody next week on the next show. Take care, everyone. We want to thank Brian for jumping on. He's always great to talk to and has a great perspective on the industry. So please check out his blog. It's worth the read. We also like to thank Cross Tracks, Merlin Locate Services, IDI Corps, PI Institute for Education, and USABugsweeps.com for sponsoring the show. Make sure you check out investigatorstoolbox.com. Remember, it only takes 49 cents a day to unlock the future of investigations. So make an investment in your business and yourself today. The legacy discount is done, but you can still save some money. Use code PIP201836 to save an extra $20. And if you got a question or comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, as you know, Instagram and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. We'll be back next Monday with a new show, so make sure you tune in. Stay safe out there.